0: And that does it for another episode of Uncontained. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Jared Osterhold for coming on and talking with me over this episode. If you are down in New Orleans and uh, find yourself in the French Quarter, on. Un- royal street make sure you stop in and uh say hello and let him know you heard him here on uncontained at Osterhold and boudreaux gallery and studios or if you don't make it down to new orleans just make sure you hit him up on his facebook or instagram page which i had the links to in my show notes and and check out his work so thanks again to Jared Osterhold. thank you for listening And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you, and until next time, live uncontained. How are you doing today, Jared?
1: Hey, pretty good. Pretty good, Aaron.
2: All right, great. Well, welcome to Uncontained, and thank you for joining me tonight. I know there's a bit of a time difference here, and uh, it's a little late in uh, New Orleans, but... As I mentioned to you early, it's kind of like Las Vegas where time doesn't exist.
1: Yeah, that's true. It, it <laughs> non-stop party, man.
2: It is, it is. And your your shop is actually located right there in the French Quarter. Yes. And uh, I was walking by with uh, my girlfriend when we were down there, and uh, some uh, pieces of art in the window just caught my eye. There's a specific theme that you have going at least with part of your art projects, it's this skeleton guy uh, that's playing musical instruments.
1: Yes. Yeah. that w- I do have a uh, body of my work that features a character from uh, Voodoo Cosmology, and his name is Baron Samity. And uh, he's actually, you know, it's nothing I came up with. Um the character himself is from Voodoo Spirituality. Um, it's just my take on it. And um, it's been very popular. Uh, it's been popularly received uh, down here. Uh, one of my best-selling uh, subject matters so far. So, uh, yeah, I have him featured in, uh, in in various pieces of art throughout the gallery. All
2: right. Very cool, man. Very cool. Yeah, so that's what caught my eye and then stepped inside the store And you had these like giant masks, like that were I don't know. I'd say probably about two to three feet wide and like three feet tall. There was a creepy clown, some like goblin, and um, I believe a cowboy in there as well that I saw. And you were cool enough to let me try them on and uh, take a couple pictures, which I may I'll have to put those on Instagram after this show airs. But, uh, like, what what got you into making, like, were these paper mache masks or?
1: Well, I- what they are, uh, they, they can partly, sometimes the skin that goes on top can be paper mache And that is one of the traditional ways that they're done in the Mardi Gras business. But growing up here in New Orleans, you know, I've had the privilege of growing up here, um, lived here my entire life. So I grew up with Mardi Gras. Um, and uh, my first one of my first real after school jobs in high school was to go uh, after school in my school uniform and paint Mardi Gras floats.
2: Okay, so
1: I started to work in the Mardi Gras business early on, and I eventually learned some of the prop making secrets and techniques. And but that's the way these are made is using a little known uh prop building technique. And it's kind of it's kind of guarded, uh, you know, a little bit. The the uh, it's kind of a trade secret, to some. But we do share it. And uh, it's basically they're made of cardboard and paper and uh, coated with contact cement. And what happens is we have to prepare all that ourselves. And uh, when the contact cement dries, it uh, it becomes almost like double sided tape. It sticks to itself, but it won't stick to you. It only sticks to itself, so okay. you can. Pretty much free form, uh, you know, anything from a small figurine, a small figure out of this stuff, all the way up to a 10, 20 foot tall, uh, full blown float prop. So it, it's it's a fun, versatile material. It's lightweight, inexpensive, but then you can take it to the next level by adding various other materials. And that's what I'd love to um, experiment with and play around with. And and the the heads you mentioned that you saw in here that those are a product of me experimenting with that as the underbase that that traditional one of those traditional uh mardi gras prop building techniques but then some of my own experiments experimentation added over it with different sculpting putties or joint compound or uh a variety of things but as you mentioned yeah the kind of the in the mardi gras business there there is always there's a quick turnaround you know every year each parade changes its theme so they'll repurpose props from the previous year
0: so okay. so
1: it's a, it's a convenient way for them to tear pieces off of another prop and stick it on another one and take a beard from one guy and put it on another you know and you know, turn uh, Julius Caesar into Mark Twain or something like that, <laughs> flip-flop him around. And um, yeah, like you mentioned, the cowboy guy who is actually, you know, he's supposed to be a Cajun down here. You know, that that's our cowboys down here. Um, <clears throat> he has a removable hat, actually. And I made that to where if I later on decided to uh, turn him into, say, a king or Bacchus or any other type of figure, I, I would have the ability to do that. So I don't know if you knew that when you saw him, his hat actually comes off. But yeah, I have a passion definitely for Mardi Gras. I uh, Love it. It's great. It's, uh, it's mostly family friendly. I, you know, I want to debunk that uh, th- th- there's the popular opinion that Mardi Gras is just a bunch of Bacchanalian debauchery <laughs> and that's true of Bourbon Street, definitely. Bourbon Street, yeah, 100%, but the majority of the rest of Mardi Gras is, you know, you bring your family and we, you know, you bring the kids and you try to catch, you know, beads and trinkets from the floats and have a great fun time and look at all the beautiful artwork on the floats, you know, and
2: okay,
1: it was a great privilege to have grown up with it and be a part of it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I imagine. And uh, yeah, I didn't know like the beads were family oriented too. You just think the beads, you think Mardi Gras and what goes on on Bourbon street. But uh, so like, what is the family aspect of Mardi Gras?
1: Oh, well it's the fun of, like I said, seeing, seeing the beautiful floats and really the anticipation of catching something great off of the float because we we have about 50 Mardi Gras crews here, so Mardi Gras it, it's really it's not just a yes we have Mardi Gras Day which is you know Fat Tuesday, um, but it, there's a two and a half week to three week long period leading up to it, of parades every weekend and as it gets closer to Mardi Gras there's parades almost every night, so there'll be parades going on all over areas of the city and the outerlying suburban cities um to where we have about 50 different Mardi Gras crews that are all that all roll during Mardi Gras season. So um the family part of it is yeah, you you're trying to catch, you know, it's the excitement of oh I want to catch a toy, I'm going to catch, you know, to to me as an adult, the only thing useful I love to to catch are are cups because okay. we actually we actually use them down here. You know, it's it's something useful. <laughs> you know, it's the the beads are just for fun you know it's oh I caught you know it's to catch the bead and you yeah know, and it's it's really pretty much a worthless trinket you know and and most of the stuff is but some of the crews have a signature what they call throws we we call the that's like the slang down here for what you catch off of a th- off of a float we call them throws okay. so um, each crew will have a signature throw and you try to get that whether it be a stuffed animal with their logo or you know and and there there are also uh parades that are called um, super crews we call parades here crews so there are super crews that have that have a lot more money invested in them to where the floats are way more you know artistically pleasing beautiful with moving parts and lights and multi-decked layer, but, and then we have, you know, more lower end, uh, parade. So there's a mix there. I know you said you
2: started doing like parade work or working and painting floats as you were in, uh, in school still. What was it that actually got you into the painting of the floats and working on Mardi Gras floats and then expanding your arts and crafts?
1: Well, um, you know, I've, I've, I've all, I've done art since I was a small kid and I just think, you know, I just have a natural ability, uh, just natural talent, whether you want to, you know, I'm, I'm not a religious person. I guess you'd say I'm a spiritual person. i look at it as it's, you know, it's a blessing. It's it's the universe. It's not me. It's just something that, you know, happens through me. And I've always, uh, had the talent and the knack for it from an early age and uh people pointed it out to me at a very early age at how good i was and that kind of fueled me on and kids in school even i can remember in grammar school and uh kindergarten kids asking me to draw things for them and uh then it eventually got to where the teachers would get me to draw things for school projects that they would use on the walls. And when I got to high school, they, they noticed my art talent uh, as well there. And I worked with the activities directors and some of the coaches on a variety of projects at school to where they would have me do stuff for, for fundraisers and for the fairs. And we had a uh, a monthly uh, giant calendar and what was called our mall area, which was the cafeteria, but for some reason we called it a mall. And there was a huge calendar in there and they would give me to decorate it every month with whatever activities were going on. So I actually ended up to where I was the art guy in school. You know, I was the guy that everybody came to for t-shirt designs and draw this and draw that. And um, I ended up in my final two years, in high school, winning uh, leadership awards for art.
2: so art has been something that has been reinforced and that you've known you've been good at for years, so yes, yeah. okay, so so you got into doing the parade floats. What, what was the next step after the parade floats? Was it uh, making the parade props and then painting? How did you get from painting parade floats to where you know you were making the floats?
1: When I was in Loyola, um, we had a family uh, sandwich shop here in town. And down here, we call this certain type of New Orleans sandwich. It's called a po' boy.
2: Oh, yeah. I had a few of those while I was down there.
1: Yeah, good, good. (laughs) So so we had a New Orleans-style po' boy shop. Our family did. So I worked for the family business, but I also worked part-time off and on for the Mardi Gras companies cause that was seasonal. So I did that through word of mouth. It got around to where people would come to me with, Hey, can you do a sign for me? You know, can you do a t-shirt design for this? Can you do, I had been doing freelance little small art jobs since high school and in college. But, um, when I graduated from, uh, college, of course, I kind of had a little bit of, you know, I, I had that angst of, Oh guy, what do I do now? And, uh, a friend said, "Well, a local sculpture company is looking to hire some people." I uh, got on with the company, and um, this family company had been well known as one of the Mardi Gras float building companies. And um, there's really only about six real uh, companies here that you know that uh, flourish on uh, the float building. We we okay. have one main big giant. But then there's about five or six others. And this is one of the other main family companies. I went to work for them, but we were doing some bigger jobs. We weren't necessarily doing just Mardi Gras work. We were doing a lot of decorative sculpture installation work for for big businesses. Uh, We were doing some stuff for uh, the local casino that's down here in the French Quarter. We have a Harris Casino that's right here down the street from where I'm sitting at the moment. Um, we also have uh, you know, the Audubon Zoo here. So I helped sculpt a large fountain that went, yeah, it, you know, it was an interactive uh, water fountain in the center in the center of the zoo that featured um, you know mother elephant, some baby elephants, and some hippos. I helped to sculpt all of those.
2: How was it interactive?
1: Oh, well, well, uh, maybe I used the wrong word there. What I meant was the, um, you know, it shot water. You know, through through the elephant's nose and through the hippo's nose, uh, mouths and okay. stuff
2: like that. I just had a vision in my head where people like when you start saying elephants and stuff like stomp on something, then the water shoots or like they can uh-huh. like I don't know interact with it in some way. Uh, but it's still cool. Found in that like shoot those those are always cool when they're like the elephant shooting out of his uh, trunk. Yeah, it'd be cool to check out.
1: Oh well, yeah, we did uh, worked on jobs like that. We have a, a local aquarium here. We have an Aquarium of the Americas, so we built some large animals for exhibits for that. So uh, with this company, you know, it, it helped me to learn um, to use a lot more materials, a lot more tools, um, some other tricks of the trade, and 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 cool shortcuts, um, cool little things of how to make sculpture work. Stayed with that company for about two years. Then I moved to another local sculpture company that actually did similar work. Decorative sculpture installations. We. This is actually where I got introduced to the giant big head masks that you mentioned. They would custom make them for people. Say people needed a mascot or a, something for a special event, they would make it. Working for these two companies, I also learned... learned um, some mold making which i'm still not a great mold maker but i know the basics okay um that's a whole art within itself that that can get really complicated um we also worked on a huge thanksgiving day parade for uh that's televised in houston it's kind of like the western equivalent of the you know the new york thanksgiving day parade
2: okay yeah the macy's thanksgiving parade
1: uh yeah this is the houston version and we actually were uh we stayed out of town for two weeks doing all the finishing work um there on on that but through this company that's how i got turned on to these large head masks um not only obviously i did i help build some but they would hire people people would actually rent hire out actors with the heads through from this company When conventions would come in town or stuff like that, they would hire them for these. I'm sure I don't know if you noticed any of the multitude of walking street parades that we have that go on year round.
2: Yes, I love those. I'm like seeing people just go down the street or you're walking down the street. All of a sudden a parade breaks out and it may be from like five people to like a whole block long of people. But it's really cool. That's one of the things I really like about New Orleans.
1: Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and it's usually uh, it's usually weddings, you know, where they do that. But it, um, it, you know, it could be for, yeah, like I said, you know, business parties, conventions, uh, fundraisers. So I got to wear heads that were built by the company I was working for. And I had such a blast doing it that I was like, oh, my gosh, I've got to, you know, build some of these for myself and my friends to go have some fun. (laughs) And um, I finally got around to doing it a few years later and um, started to build up a collection of these heads. But storing them was another issue. The the ones that you saw in here are are only a few of the ones I have. I have about 10. And we do wear these and walk in parades. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll throw trinkets to the kids. So I have my own my own walking crew that I built and my friends and I enjoy doing that.
2: Right, I think I saw a few pictures of like all of them online as well. Maybe you and your friends out. I couldn't quite tell who they were because you were wearing masks, but
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. An- another cool thing is my uh, big heads appeared on a few TV shows. Oh, really? And like what? We've even walked in them as extras. They've been used in uh, Storage Hunters. They've been used on uh, NCIS New Orleans. They've been featured on Bar Rescue, on uh, The First 48, and then just recently, a show called Expedition Unknown. I'm not sure if it's on, I'm not sure what channel it's on, but it's hosted <laughs> by Josh Gates. Um, he used to host um, Destination Truth years ago. I remember watching that show. Yeah, and I got to meet him personally, and uh, he came over, and uh, you know they asked to use one of the heads and so it's in one of his uh, latest episodes
2: very cool i just googled it and expedition unknown is on the discovery channel
1: okay yeah it was the pirate jean lafitte's gold or that, that may have may have been the title of the episode i'm not sure but there's a scene of him walking uh down bourbon street wearing one of my large jester heads
2: Very cool, very cool. I actually uh, went to Lafitte's Blacksmith Shop, which is like apparently the oldest bar in the United States right now. um, While I was down the French Quarter, it was really it's it was like a really dark, dingy little bar, and it was it was fun. I liked it. It's like more my style of bar.
1: (laughs) Oh, I love it. It's it is definitely my it it is it used to be and is my favorite bar. Yeah, definitely uh, down here. uh, and they, they claim it's the oldest, longest running bar. I'm not sure, you know, but it, it was built in 1722, and it survived. Uh, it survived the Great Fire that uh, the French Quarter experienced in the early 1800s. Okay, so it, it was left untouched, so it's still. Um yeah, it's still standing. Um
2: seventeen twenty-two you say, huh? Um it's yeah. I I thought it was like seventeen seventy four or something like that, two years before the before the United States became a country. I I'm guessing like there were older established bars out on the east coast, but they probably aren't still
1: around. Well, it did back then it was not a bar. Back then it didn't function as a bar. It it was uh I think it was, as they say, a blacksmith shop, um, because Jean Lafitte himself was a master blacksmith. But um, besides that, it it functioned as a, uh, you know, a haven for all kind of uh, covert things and smuggling, and uh, I I don't know what kind of, uh, (laughs) I don't know what rating this show has, but I could get into what other types of activities. You can talk about whatever
2: you want right here. So
1: on the outside, of course, it was looked at as, uh, you know, uh, Jean Lafitte had a brother, Pierre, who he was actually more of the pirate than Jean was. Jean was more of the businessman who kind of ran things and kept things under control, whereas Pierre was uh, doing more of the actual pirating. OK, so.
2: I was just going to explain that to people who are listening that may not know a lot of the New Orleans history uh, that the John Lafitte, like John Lafitte was a pirate. And well, I didn't know about Pierre being more of a pirate, but it, it's really interesting to hear. And he's like, they aren't they credited with like helping defeat the British?
1: Oh, yeah. 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 They are American heroes. Yeah, Jean Lafitte's an American hero. He was pardoned by Andrew Jackson um, because, of course, he had all these crimes against him. He was wanted for <laughs> he was a pirate. But, um, <laughs> but during the War of eighteen twelve, uh, when the British were attacking, uh, what is called out here, it's uh, Chalmette Battlefield, which is supposedly haunted as well. We have some, you know so many haunted locations out here, supposedly, and um, he helped. Uh, them to learn how to navigate all the byways up through the bayous he knew all these sneaky routes and besides that he and his men fought guerrilla style warfare whereas the british fought you know rank and file Yes. so so yeah so he helped uh andrew jackson's forces win that battle very cool Harden. Yeah, so we're getting into New Orleans history. <laughs> I
2: know, I know. I was, I was thinking I could sit here and listen to you talk about New Orleans history all night because what I heard while I was down there was pretty amazing, and there is tons of it. And but let's let's steer this conversation back to your art. And uh, in addition. Sure to the uh, paintings that you have of the Baron of voodoo spirituality, your giant heads and floats. You also do um, some illustrations for uh, at least one specific children's book, Olivia.
1: Yes. Yeah. From, uh, From the year, I would say 2009 through 2014, 2015, I illustrated twenty Olivia books um, for the Nickelodeon uh, animated TV series based on the Little Pig character Olivia that was created by Ian Falconer, and uh, yeah, that kept me busy. That was th- that was a really good job. I also illustrated one title of another children's character uh, called Pinkalicious, which is another. Very popular character. I hadn't heard of her. You say Pink Job, yeah. I was offered the job, and I hadn't heard of her, knew how big of a character it was, but it's actually animated on PBS. And uh, the dragon that I create, I created an original dragon character for the title that um, I illustrated um, for Victoria Khan, the author, and they animated my dragon on PBS perfectly. I was oh. actually amazed. I just recently saw this <laughs> and was amazed by it. Um,
2: That's awesome.
1: Because they kept it exactly the way I painted her. It, uh, exact.
2: All right. Very cool, man. That's got to be something. Now, um, it seems like illustrating children's books and stuff is a long way from making big old paper mache heads of, like, goblins and... Uh, and stuff and creepy clowns and stuff like that how did you make that like transition there did they come find you or did you like seek it out like i want to illustrate a children's book or just illustrate something
1: um well you know that that's the thing with me that, I, that i'm blessed with is i am super versatile and i'm also uh Pretty pretty fast, you know. I can kind of crank some stuff out kind of quickly. It's like what happens to me is I get in the zone. You know, we talk about the zone where, like musicians, because I'm also a musician as well. Uh,
0: oh, really? I play
1: various uh, play various instruments. I and sometimes it's a toss up. I don't know whether I like music or visual arts more. You know, some you know sometimes I'll work here all day and I go home and click my guitar on and we'll just go into go into that zone for an hour.
2: <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> or I
1: play, play drums a little so I'm blessed in that I'm very versatile and I can you know whatever people ask of me I I can create for them. Um so yeah, the transition there it it that basically has to do with um you know, yeah, the big heads that's something that of course like I said that that I enjoy doing and is part of New Orleans culture. It's a fun thing. It and it's so entertaining and i i i I love entertaining people with those but the uh the the book illustrations that uh grew out of after i had worked for the few different sculpture companies um when that kind of fizzled out i moved back into doing graphics which was kind of my base you know i had started off doing like i said before t-shirt designs and 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 those kind of things. So I moved back into that world for a few years where I had to just, you know, in order to survive and make money and live, you know, you can't always, always do what you always want to do, do what your customers need. So, you know, I had taken on a few jobs working for a few different companies, furnishing T-shirt designs, uh, like I said, um, uh, logo designs and and. And somewhere along that way is where I started to learn um, how to do digital painting because I didn't take any formal computer courses, even in Loyola. I'm kind of giving away my age there a little bit. (laughs) Um, It was kind of put in my lap by one of my employers. She said, here you go. Here's your computer. Here's a, here's Photoshop. Here's a Wacom tablet. Have fun, play with it, figure it out. And I played around and started to get the knack of it. And, I learned how to do digital painting, you know, which uh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. You know, there's so many different programs now. I know there's Apple Pencil and, which I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, getting, but I still use my uh, same old Wacom tablets, and I have a couple of them, and they still work great. And uh, so the majority of my book illustrations were done uh, digitally. Uh, so it's called digital painting.
2: Okay. So that probably even made it easier for them to uh, adapt the dragon to television being a right? digital being a digital drawing and all.
1: Right, because the dragon would have been on its own, yeah, she was on her own layer, you know, cuz you can um, you know, obviously people sure a lot of people out there listening know know about this stuff is, you know, if you're using Photoshop, you create things in layers and um The cool thing about, you know, with digital painting and I can, you know, I can see people looking at it as, oh, that you're doing on a computer that's kind of like cheating, but it's actual, it's actual hands-on drawing. You know, it just gives you so much more convenience and that you're able to draw on all these variety of layers and you're able to undo any mistakes and erase things and you can kind of move things around and So uh, when it came to the book illustrations, it was very, very convenient because the cool thing is that I had worked. uh, What I forgot to mention is that I got a uh, illustration agent in the year 2006, and that was a result of Hurricane Katrina that had hit here in New Orleans and kind of displaced us all because I was in the middle of another partnership of of a growing business. Wow. And um, Hurricane Katrina displaced us. And out of necessity, I said, well, look, I'm going to have to put together, um, you know, a web portfolio and get start getting my stuff out and uh, try try to get some work and, you know, try to find some representation. Like I had always I had had in the back of my head that, look, I need to get, you know, either an agent or a rep or I need to find some investors. So I knew those were two things I had planned on doing. So that gave me that that time period where, where we were evacuated for the hurricane to put together a web portfolio. And um, I started sending it out to a ton of illustration agents. And I, I got mostly, you know, positive feedback uh, from a lot of them. But a lot of them would say, hey, look, your stuff's great, but we already have enough artists on our, uh, you know, on our roster. Why don't you try such and such company or try doing this? So a lot of, a lot of people were very helpful. So I had a few who were interested in me, but one in particular said, look, we'll start sending you some jobs and uh, test you out. So in the meantime, I was working for another company as a on-staff illustrator doing stuff for ads and packaging. And I started to work with the uh, illustration agent and that relationship grew and I started to take on bigger and bigger jobs. And then that's where I got tested out for the Olivia jobs. Okay. And that's... That led to the Pinkalicious job. Then I was also uh, honored to be able to illustrate a book for. Um, it was a how to. It was called um, How to Draw Incredible Ocean Animals for Smithsonian Institute. So, and what was really really cool about that was, as a small child, for Christmas one year, I received a book uh, How to Draw Dinosaurs, a Smithsonian institute how to draw a dinosaur step-by-step book
2: that's cool a, so it came it, full circle
1: yeah, it came full circle where i was able to then be the artist who did a how to draw ocean animals and it and they sell those at the smithsonian gift shops and they're on amazon and and everywhere else so you know if people google my name obviously what what comes up the most i believe my gallery does come up in the first page But you'll see a lot of the Olivia stuff, obviously, because it's such a big name. Um, You know, if you go into Amazon and put my name in, just all the Olivia books pop up. Plus, I've done about six other books that are uh, like I did a version of The Nutcracker. I did a version of some Egyptian myths. But in between all of that, I did a ton of spot illustrations for like various uh, children's educational publications, stuff for science books and workbooks and um, literature. So those a spot illustration would be, obviously, as you can imagine, you got mostly text and story and one little small illustration off in the corner, you know or or yeah. you you're reading through the text and you turn you have one full page. So so those would be like short stories that were all, Kind of crunched together into one book. So very cool. Yeah, I've been very lucky. I've been very blessed to to be able to do that and to you know get to the point where I am now with with my own uh, gallery and studio.
2: Right on. So before we move on to uh, my final questions here, um, recently actually just like last week or shortly, you were at a expo, um, the Oddities and Curiosities Expo. What was, what was that like? It sounds like a very entertaining event.
1: You know, it was great. Um, unfortunately, I was not able to get around and see too much of what the other vendors had to offer. I saw a little bit, and uh, it, of course, it was cool. It was interesting. They had some really well-done booths. But we were, we were pretty slammed. We were very busy.
2: Sounds like a good problem to have.
1: A whole other service that I offer is I do live event paintings. And that's something I have been super busy with. Um, over the past four years, uh, people will book me to come to uh, any type of a live event. They're normally wedding receptions. And what I do is I show up there, set up. And at the reception, I paint live the scene that's happening, which is usually, you know, the bride and groom dancing and the guests partying and the band playing. And um, I've done about 135 of these paintings so in the ha- past four years. And, wow,
2: 135 in the past four in the past four years. So yeah. How do you do that? Like, there's obviously you can kind of picture the bride and groom there dancing. Do you like draw certain things that happen throughout the night, or do you just like kind of visually take in the scene and draw like what is happening at that one moment within that three hours?
1: Um, what I do, you know, I get there about a half an hour early because I have to meet with the you know the the event planner. And find out you know wh- where i'm positioned so i'll get there a little bit early and i will start to kind of rough in some of the background architecture and start to get some of that laid in before the guests arrive okay and uh, as the guests arrive um that's when i really kick it into high gear um and a lot of people come up and you know what are you working on i will say oh i'm doing a live of, live of painting come check it out in about an hour and you'll see the progress so Usually what happens is it's uh, whatever the main portion of the event. And like I'm like I said, I'm talking about a wedding. It, it'll usually be the first dance of the wedding or whatever the key of, key part of the event is. I do take a snapshot just with my iPhone of, of like the bride and groom to make sure I get their details correct. Because, of course, they will walk away and I don't know, I might not be I'd be able to find them for the rest of the night. So as they're dancing, I do I sketch them in with paint. You know, I rough them in with paint. And I'll go back and do their details later from the photo. But um everything else that's happening, I paint it as it's happening. So whoever happens to be sitting at the table there or standing there at that moment gets in the painting. So of course I'll get special requests of people saying, Oh, can you put our grandmother here? or the brother here and, and and i'm able to do that so okay you know, i'm pretty busy man i juggle a <laughs> I juggle a couple of different balls
2: <laughs> it sounds like um, it man it sounds like it and so i uh, just one more i'm like in my mind as you're talking about drawing that i have actually seen the finished one while i was in in your shop but is it kind of like a time-lapse painting in a way Like, you know, there's time-lapse photography where you kind of see, like, everything going on. Minus the blurs of, like, the cars going by or whatever it is in, like, the time-lapse photography. But, like, kind of like, okay, this guy was here. Bam. And 15 minutes, this guy's here. Bam. Draw him. Paint another guy here. Paint another guy here. And they weren't all necessarily at the same spot at the same time throughout the night. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. See, sometimes it's like that. Yeah. So sometimes... Um, yeah, I will have to paint the person from memory. Sometimes the person is sitting there long enough or if it's the band there long. Yeah. Um, and, and essentially what it is, it, it's speed painting. You know, it's <laughs> it, it, it is intense, full on three and a half hours of nonstop. Sometimes I don't stop to use the restroom. I don't stop to take a sip of water. I am just nonstop painting so I can have it done. I, I like to, you know, and I 99% of the time I finish it by the end by the end of the night and the family takes it home.
2: Wow, that's awesome, man. So, you've been doing art in some facet or another since pretty much a little kid. If you had a piece of advice for somebody uh who's looking to get started as an artist, what would that be?
1: I would have to say um you know, is to just put it out there, you know, put it out there, see, you know, see see how people react. See, you know. And, and you know, not not to I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but, you know, I feel like you'd have to have some level of skill. You have to, <laughs> be able to have a level of skill to be able to, um, you know, excel in, in your field. And I believe that we we're all blessed with talents. We're all blessed with with talents and multiple talents, because uh, although I do all this types of stuff, there's tons of things I know absolutely nothing about and, you know, totally <laughs> lacking in those areas. Um, you know, I think the math part of my brain is uh, has completely shut off. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say, um, you know, if you feel a passion, if you really have the passion for art, to just go for it. Um, you know, work hard, uh, you know, be you know be persistent be able to take criticism and you know go from there and improve on it um you know if you uh trying to get started in art um you see like I said with me it just kind of it just kind of happened to where you know people noticed it early on and I noticed it and it just went on from there and um you know, I did. I did hear those negative stereotypes about the starving artist, and I heard those voices of, "Oh man, you never make it an art." You know, and uh-huh. you got to get some other kind of job, and you just got to do your art on a side and try to sell it. And I was just, uh, I have to say, I was just hard headed and determined to do it no matter what. I felt like, look, I'm blessed with with the skill, and I guess like kind of like that old uh, parable of. You know, if you have a light, don't put it under a bush. You know, try to let let that light shine. And um,
2: <laughs> I've never actually heard that. I've never actually heard that if you have a light, don't put it under the bush. Uh, yeah, I'm
1: not sure if that's from the Bible or where I heard that. Wh- where that's from, um, I think it is probably. <laughs> I just don't know. You know <laughs> what passage? Um, and I kind of look at it like that, um, you know, like try and find what, what, what you're really skilled at, um, what you really love to do, have a knack for and go after that with, with passion, determination, and persistence, definitely, definitely a lot of hard work and sacrifice. I mean, if you're trying to make it in the art world, you're not going to be able to just, uh, do what you want to do. You know, you, you're going to have to do. What what your customers want, you know, just like all of us, I've gone through long periods of, of of suffering and biting the bullet and and doing some things that I may not have been that passionate about. But you know what? Every little bit of it helped to improve, helped me to improve. And I'm still improving and I'm still learning and growing. It's uh, that's what that's an amazing thing, you know, about life. You're just constantly learning. And I would say just just go at it. Definitely, man. That's very good advice
2: right there. You know, have to be bullheaded enough to put up with the criticism and people telling you you can't do stuff, but also self-aware enough to kind of know that, uh, where your talents are. Like me, I would not accept a commission to go paint paint a mural i can draw a mean stick person but that's about it but (laughs) but you know so art isn't necessarily my skill um so yeah be be self-aware and bullheaded is that kind of along the lines of what you're kind of going with and but also flex enough flexible enough to uh be able to do stuff outside of your
1: yeah definitely to, to definitely be flexible don't um right D- don't get yourself stuck into one rut be yeah to be to be mutable to be flexible um because you because you just never know where, where it could take you you just really don't you know to have as much fun with it and and say for example you're doing a job you may not be as passionate and excited about try you know try to embrace it as much as you can accept it and embrace it look at it as a gift um
2: very cool, man. Very cool. So um, now we already know what you've done in the art world, but like, what are what are you doing to promote yourself right now? What are you doing to get the word out about Osterhold and Boudreaux Gallery and Studio?
1: Well, of course, we're doing um, you know uh, consistent Facebook posts and Instagram posts. Um, we we do trade shows. And you know, like like I like I described, the one we just did was a new a new one for us. Uh, we we had mainly been doing the uh, live event painting shows, um, so uh, trade shows. I've done um, event painting services to fundraisers. Um, So, and and it's, and it's also always been, you know, word of mouth. And of course, um, you know, just some of the basics of, uh, handing out cards, just word of mouth, but, uh, we're, we're, we're working on improving, you know, we, the gallery here has been open for a year and a few months here. Okay. So, um, this whole thing was a whole new world for us and we had never done this before. So it was a lot, big undertaking and uh, it was—I'd uh, say the first seven months, man. I worked, uh, you know, 12, 10 hours a day, twelve days a week. Uh, it was, it was nonstop until we got a feel for how this business worked. Then we could start to kind of relax a little. Um, but it was, um, like I said, it, 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 a big sacrifice. Now, now that we have gotten over that phase of actually setting up. You know, ha- having the, you know, the brick and mortar place here with the foot traffic in an ideal location, you know, the the New Orleans French Quarter, which is a dream. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we had been working on trying to get this going for about five years. And how that happened was, an, an, I had always planned to find an investor. Well, an investor found me is how it happened. Got to love when that happens. <laughs> yeah, I know. I had a guy approach me and say uh, he came to uh, my ex-wife and uh, said, hey, tell your husband to come talk to me and um, said, look, I want to get you. Let's let's get a shop going, you know. So but from that point on, it still took us five years to actually get the brick and mortar shop because wow. of just scheduling and everybody's life is so busy. And I, I had had a, a new baby at the time. But it was that bullheadedness and determination that I'm not letting this opportunity go. So now that we have gone through that phase of, of seeing how this business works and, and getting used to that, now we're moving more into the advertising and marketing phase. Okay. Uh, more online because our, we, we have been very short-staffed. It's mainly my business partner and I, just the two of us. Uh, Alan Boudreaux, who is an amazing uh, New Orleans photographer. Um, it's, it's just he and I, and, you know, and we've had some assistance from, uh, of course our employee Derek and our previous employees. So now we're moving into that second phase of, we're talking about branching out into other, uh, DBAs where we're going to have some, some other offshoot businesses. So
2: what is a DBA?
1: Uh, doing business as, so some, some other, okay. Yeah, some like some some offshoot businesses, um, you know, based on some of my some of my artwork and my products and things. So we're going to we've just had some business meetings recently of, of going that direction. But but, yeah, as far as how how do I how do we promote? It's mainly been what I've already mentioned. But now that we're in a year, we're about to take that up a few notches so
2: okay man it sounds like you've been super busy and uh it's good to see that all that work is paying off and moving and growing stages of advertising from kind of the man in the street like passing out flyers business cards and hitting up people on social media doing that digitally to getting to the point where you are creating advertisements and stuff like that more so I have a few more questions left for you before we uh, wrap this up here. Um, What would be a highlight that you care to share with the uncontained audience?
1: You know, the highlight is, uh, you know, when I see the look on people's faces of either, you know, to to give them that wow of life and or 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 make them laugh and and to have fun. So very cool. That's what I strive for. Yeah
2: and that kind of rolls right into my next question which you've already kind of answered the first part i assume and so uh, what do you want people to take away and remember when they see your art or what you want them to feel which what you what you answer which is mainly take away fun enjoy life and stuff like that but what do you do to help ensure that they get that feeling
1: mm, yeah that's that's that's, uh, mm, that's a that's kind of deep one i definitely want to inspire people you okay. know I'm, I'm or to inspire people entertain people um um you know like i said give give them the sense of wonder um uh make them feel that life is beautiful you know just uh l- like you said i kind of answered it in a way um but uh definitely yeah i just um like I said, it's it to me it, it it's a giving thing and I, and it's definitely I I want people to take away inspiration, you know, and, and especially right. especially children. Yeah, you know, I love to see children being inspired by it, so
2: yeah, yeah, and definitely, I, I, I still think that's really cool that, you know, you started out with uh, the How to Draw Dinosaurs book. You have the How to Draw Sea Creatures book currently out now, and uh, you never know, you might inspire the next kid to become an artist by putting that out. <laughs> like, I can figure out how to draw this uh cool sea creature. Now I'm going to go try something else, move like from sea creatures to superheroes or become some Marine biologist artist or something like that, which is really cool. Exactly. Exactly. I have actually only have one more question for you, but before I get to that final question, Jared, where can people find you and, like find your store so where can people find you when they're down in the french quarter and uh if they're not down there can they find you online can they purchase your art online and uh what's your corner of
1: the internet yes definitely um <clears throat> our, our physical gallery is we're located at 427 royal street and that's in the new orleans french quarter we are right next Actually, right next to my wall that I'm looking at right here is the sidewall of the historic and world famous Brennan's Restaurant. Okay. So I'm right next to uh, Brennan's Restaurant. Um, if anyone out there has heard of it, and online we are our website is artgallerynola.com. We're on Facebook as Osterhold and Boudreaux Gallery and Studio. You can find us there. I actually ha- also have a, um, a few Facebook pages. So I have a Facebook page, um, that's called Jared Osterhold event, fine arts. That's where they can see my, uh, live paintings that I mentioned to you about. I also have a, uh, Jared Osterhold, um, portfolio page, which I'm debating whether I'm going to, you know, if that's going to be changed up or not, um, that was actually built before we had the physical gallery, but I, we can be contacted through all of those. But our main one is the gallery Facebook page, which would be, you know, Bujo Gallery at Facebook. And also, of course, we're on Instagram and uh, uh, our Instagram name is 427 Royal Gallery.
2: Your address.
1: Yeah, it's 427 Royal Gallery. Yep. All right.
2: Four two seven Royal Gallery. We'll we'll make sure all that information's in the show notes so you guys can find them. If you are uh, down in New Orleans, make sure you stop by and uh, go check out the stuff they have. You can see the big heads that I was talking about. Jared was cool enough to let me try them on. Uh, one of them didn't fit over my big head, <laughs> but
1: smaller ones maybe.
2: Yeah, I I think it was the cowboy head or something that didn't fit my fit me, but the the goblin did or something like that. The big uh <laughs> with the one with the hands that go with it. Yeah. I, I do make sure you check them out if you're down there in New Orleans, visit the French quarter, see them. All right, Jared. It first of all, I really appreciate you joining me. I've had a great time talking to you tonight. And um I, I miss New Orleans. I look forward to getting back down there again sometime. That town, that, the, it's almost like a city that's in a different country in a way, just because of the feel of it. But uh, enough, about, enough about that. Let's talk about you. Um, I have that one final question for you the title question of the show Jared Osterhold, how do you live uncontained?
1: First of all, believe in yourself. Uh, You have to work hard. You have to sacrifice. Be determined. Be persistent. Uh, Practice acceptance. Love what you do. And embrace life. Just go at it.
2: That is all really awesome advice right there. Like, on how, basically, it's advice on how you live uncontained. Right there, people should kind of live by that in a way. Uh, go after it. Be, you know, as, as you kind of said, you got to be f- flexible, determined, and you know, just know what you want and go after it. And uh, as I said earlier, I appreciate you coming on my show. And uh, I look forward to seeing what you put out next as far as art goes here. And uh, make sure you check Jared out online. His social media and his uh, website will be in the show notes, so make sure you check that out. Jared, there's that one final thing for you to do, and that is sign off the show. Will you do me the honor of signing off the show tonight?
1: Sure will, Aaron, and thank you for having me. Of course. I am Jared Osterhold, and I live uncontained. And that does it for
0: another episode of Uncontained. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Jared Osterhold for coming on and talking with me over this episode. If you are down in New Orleans and uh, find yourself in the French Quarter, on. royal street make sure you stop in and uh say hello and let him know you heard him here on uncontained at Osterhold and boudreaux gallery and studios or if you don't make it down to new orleans just make sure you hit him up on his facebook or instagram page which i had the links to in my show notes and and check out his work so thanks again to Jared Osterhold. thank you for listening And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you, and until next time, live uncontained.